Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Match of the Week, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something universe in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, taking in turns, picking a match from the wide world and history of professional wrestling and giving it a look with our modern day eyes. Simon, what match have you picked for this episode? It's a relatively recent one less than a decade old yes and uh, what are we watching and why did you pick it uh so first things first we are watching a match taking place on the wrestling world network it's a title versus title match between the open the dragon gate open champion the freedom gate open the freedom gate i apologize champion johnny gargano and the evolve champion drew galloway now known as drew mcintyre and to move to the second part of your question, the reason I picked this match is I'd obviously seen snippets of Drew Galloway when he was in WWE. And when he came back to, came back to NXT, he was this guy who was like, look, he's been in the wild. I saw him at like, wrestle at uh, WCPW in the flesh. I heard about him doing things on TNA and really getting acclaim in ICW. So I wanted to see this period of... Um, Drew Galloway slash McIntyre to see the seeds of the mighty oak tree, literally the mighty oak tree he has become uh, as now a former, I think it's at least two time WWE champion now. Well, I know he's won it two times. So, cause I remember the two wins. So yeah, he's uh, at least a two time, unless there's a third one. I can't remember, which is quite damning now that i can't remember these things fully like, you <laughs> said he's a three-time i'd have gone okay sure <laughs> also i do have a ticket to attend clash at the castle so it's sort of fitting where i'm gonna see probably drew get a big pop in whatever match he's in coming up soon so there's that as well so it's curious that you picked drew mcintyre's during this second drew galloway run in between his two stints in the wwe Mm. It's interesting that you picked him in the US Indies facing another figurehead, another key figure within the indie scene at this time, and who would also go on to be a star within the WWE system Mm. for a time sharing the same promotion with Drew McIntyre when he comes back. But McIntyre moving on and him staying within in the form of Gargano. And was Gargano... Was there any thought behind this as to what? Yeah, it's a little bit of two birds, one stone. I just wanted to see some pre-NXT Johnny Gagano. So I thought, make hay while the sun shines, get these guys both in uh, and see what what they were like before they became black and gold mainstays. And in one case, a black and gold cornerstone. I think what may surprise some people, not even surprise some people necessarily, but enlighten some people who haven't seen Johnny Gargano outside of NXT, is that the things that maybe were driving people crazy in both positive and then later negative ways about Johnny Gargano and his main event style are there in this match. Mm. Johnny Gargano and Drew McIntyre both clearly come from the Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania school of (laughs) epic epicness. In your main events. Yes, yes. There are a lot of false finishes in this, to say the least. And it is funny that they say that Drew McIntyre is wearing the same attire that he wore at WrestleMania 26. 
which is the match that they literally homage with the final sequence in particular mm. in this match. And so Johnny Gargano kicking out of an insane, like, super-duper version of someone's finisher was something that was happening a lot in his matches with Champa that brought him so much acclaim. And then later on with Adam Cole, which started to be the descent in... I think it's more stuck with Cole than it has Gargano, I suppose, because Gargano then almost reinvented himself in the mid-card as a comedy heel act on NXT. Yeah, yeah. With occasional returns to the main event scene, but never going back to that time where he and NXT were both arguably at their peak in popularity. He did a bit of like incubating for, for Austin Theory, Dexter Loomis, Indy Hartwell, and, and the like. But he had a faction. He, he was always there. He was like someone... He was like AJ Styles on the main roster. Like, no, not always at the top, but could easily be like, press a button and he's straight at the top if you need him. I think he knew more than anyone that his size... You know, you look at him compared to Drew Galloway in this match, and they claim in commentary he's that mythical five foot ten that so many <laughs> wrestlers seem to claim they are nowadays. Mm. Look, mm. I'm someone who genuinely, in my trainers, I measure myself and was surprised to find out I was five foot ten. Yeah. So anything's possible in this situation. Only with trainers on, in my case. I don't know if they're taking the. Uh, legit five foot ten thing seriously or not you haven't bought some of them like nike bubble wrap ones with like no, the ridiculous no. heel i didn't expect i've always assumed that i was five foot nine and in later years suspected that maybe it was more like five foot eight i got measured once when i was getting like signing up for a gp yeah i, I have no recollection all i know is that she kind of called me out for like sort of stretching my neck at one point but you know mm. it's like fucking you know if you want a realist you want know, the true the ideal height. <laughs> That's what I'm giving you. <laughs> you know? And this is one thing that I noticed about Drew Galloway in particular. I think one thing that was noticeable about him, explained a lot about him to me, was I read a bit of an interview where he, because he he's about my age, I think he's like a year younger than I am. So we grew up watching the same stuff, reading the same magazines probably. And he said that when he was watching all these indie stuff, you know, like the, and he saw AJ Styles... And he was like, oh, I want to wrestle like those guys, those cruiserweights. I guess maybe that's more likely the cruiserweights, WCW stuff. Yeah. And he wanted to wrestle like them. But then he just kept growing. And weirdly, I think maybe there's a part of Drew McIntyre that slightly resents the fact that he's six foot five. (laughs) (laughs) Quite possibly. But I don't know. On the other hand, his his look has brought him up. Bought him a lot of art. It got him a lot of opportunities, his look, I think. Yes, of course it did. Yeah. Ahead of maybe where his skill level was at the time. Because that was the thing. He was the, the whole story of Drew McIntyre was that he was this can't-miss prospect that seemed to miss. Had the Vince McMahon seal of approval on television as well. Well, even when he said that, it was like, this could so easily be a poison chalice. Yeah. Like, he probably will be. But Vince, you know, he also thought that Lex Luger was the next Hulk Hogan at one point. He would have said as much. (laughs) And then he changed his mind within a year. And I remember Drew during that run in 2008, 2009. And it was like, there's always that one, there's so often that one figure that comes every two or three, well, three or four or five years, really. Where it seems like they just have decided this is the guy. Yeah. And they protect them from the start, even if they're not necessarily the one that they're in the process of pushing hard. The intention is there. You saw it with Randy Orton. 
You saw it with Drew McIntyre. You saw it then with Roman Reigns. And you're seeing it now with Theory. Mm. That there's someone that Vince just likes. And it's going to take a lot more of, of their misbehavior to undo them. With Drew McIntyre, I think his... I mean, I know he said that he got into a bit of a bad habit of drinking. Yeah. But it was almost just like... I think it was more just Vince losing interest. And I partly put that down to him doing doing everything kind of mechanically correct. Because the thing that they're always taught when they're young is, oh, you've got to slow down. Mm. And I think Drew took that to mean walk very slow to the ring. I remember when he comes out of the 2010 Royal Rumble, which is one of the best Royal Rumbles ever. And Triple H is fighting CM Punk, I think, at that point. And Drew McIntyre comes out, and you know that he's going to be given a pretty good showing for himself yeah like i think what you know for that story what it was was he was like the last person to get eliminated when sean michaels and triple h go on that spree of eliminations and then sean surprises triple h with a switch in music yeah so he wasn't like pushed but he was still given that prominent thing and i just remember him taking fucking forever to get to the ring <laughs> to the point that triple h was literally like come on get in so it's like yeah slow it down but not that much <laughs> and mm. he always had that swagger of arrogance that I suppose was meant to be the character but it never felt quite earned enough yeah he had those moments but i think also one thing that was a problem for me and i think for a lot of people was i hated his stupid fucking ponytail that he put his hair in yeah it that didn't it, look right and he had he was, that baby face yeah he was clean shaven like when you look at what drew looks like now compared to what drew looks like then you can't believe that they tried the initial run look of Drew, really. It's weird. Well, maybe to be fair, some of that comes with age. Some of that comes with the changing your diet and your um, regimen. Oh, yes. Yeah, he worked very hard. But I think it was very wise of him to like start growing the chest hair out. It was very yeah. wise of him to get rid of the ponytail. Keep the long tail, but keep, keep the long hair, but get the ponytail. And to dye it black mm. and get a thick black beard. Because that automatically put age on him. And he's starting to do this already at this point when he comes back. Because before then, the last time that we'd seen him in WWE was Three Man Band. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Oh, how did I forget about that? Where he was a joke jobber, more tainted by association, really, with Heath Slater. And again, because it was like Drew McIntyre being the yes man. He takes a hurricanrana bump through a ladder... From, oh, what's his name? El Torito, I'm assuming you're thinking about because you are obsessed with this match. No, uh, well, I'm not as obsessed with it as some of my friends are, but but it serves as an example on a joke comedy match on a pre show of a pay per view. He's the one, despite the fact he is six foot five, taking a um, hurricanrana from a man who he could easily throw, like throw one handed, like a American football. He did what was expected of him, but I thought it was tainting him so badly. I remember Heath Slater you got being treated like that, because that was always his thing. And Jinder Mahal, you also kind of got, because he he never really... Again, he was, you know, I mean, another man that reinvented himself. In and hit the gym hard as well. Dietary habits and, and growing out chest hair and everything. Yeah. With, with Drew McIntyre, I just remember it was like, the they just get the shit kicked out of them by the shield. 
easily. Yeah. And I think they will probably be losing handicap matches to the big show or stuff like that, I would assume. Yeah. I just yeah. assume at some point they got beaten in a handicap match by one individual. But it's a, it's Big Show or and or Kane. And it was it? just <laughs> I was so shocked that it was Drew McIntyre. Even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Drew McIntyre at the time, I was like, you know, I get why Vince wanted to push this guy to the moon. And I don't fully get what he did to earn this. Yeah. I wonder if it's just as much that Drew just went along with it and then just became a yes man became he's claimed that he became like kind of complacent and maybe that's true Mm. i wonder it's more like him creating blame for himself where he actually didn't deserve it because i do think drew mcintyre has always wanted to be the model employee yeah i was very surprised when after he because after this he came out and it was this sense that everyone had like how the fuck did he Vince screw up on this guy? Yeah. And, like, literally, I was looking him up on Cage Match, and it's actually, like, literally been 800 matches since he had that, his first match back out of the indie scene. Oh, and okay. The very first match he has back out of the indie scene is as a surprise challenger for Chris Hero's Evolve Championship, and Gabe Sapolsky books him to win the title immediately. Yeah. And Gabe Sapolsky was a spotter of talent and so he automatically was like i'm taking this guy and i'm pushing him to the moon mm. and it was weird and again like the, the online fan base kind of got it immediately it was like yeah of course he should have been like this <laughs> like, yeah look at him just look at him <laughs> and, and you're not used to this guy being on that indie scene you know he's either in the developmental system because he's been snapped up by the WWE already or he's in the WWE main roster and he never leaves until he's worked his way to the end of his real useful lifespan and then it's just kind of the the photo merch circuit for yeah. the rest of whatever he wants to do that you see your, your Braun Strowman's and the like on now. Well, Braun has something else in the works to be fair to him. Yeah... But that's not even in the works. It's happening. It's just no one's paying attention to it anymore. <laughs> um, but that was also another striking moment I realised as like how you push someone and how, again, the Drew McIntyre never presents himself as a monster. And really, even when he came back, again, he's not a monster. He's just kind of um, an Adonis almost. Yeah. Like, like still a human, but just like the best version of a human. That like when he stood up to Braun Strowman at the time when I think he was like, with Dolph Ziggler for some weird reason when they brought him to the main roster. Yeah. And again, was... he was being protected in a way that no one else was being protected. Like Dolph Ziggler wasn't being protected at that stage. And he wouldn't like unquestioningly stand up to Braun Strowman. And when you see him standing next to Braun Strowman, the monster among men, and they're almost at eye level. Yeah. You they... again, like. They slowed it down the second time around. Uh, well, in NXT, not so much. But NXT had a had a habit of... You didn't have, like, a two, three-year build in NXT because you weren't there for two, three years. So in NXT terms, it was on, poor, on par. But when he gets back to the main roster, they, they, they seem to learn their lesson and just slowly but surely get there. But they always position him in the upper mid-card immediately after that. Yeah. Like, unquestioningly, he's not going to get beaten up in a you know in a three on one scenario, if Roman Reigns beats him, it's not with mere ease in a one minute backstage brawl mm, where mm. he or Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins leaves him laying. It's going to be at the end of a hard fight, 
You know, he did, yeah. he did lose to Roman Reigns in their first WrestleMania match, but he wasn't, you know, it didn't harm him particularly. Well, was that, also was that, that weird was, um, moment when Roman was just after his recovery from leukemia thing, and yeah. it was just kind of a an awkward netherworld of, like, how close is he to being back and everything. Yeah. Is he truly back? Are we going to put him in any kind of position, or is he kind of just floating around as a special attraction almost? The fact that Drew was picked for that... It, was a good sign at the time for him. I think that's when everyone realised, okay, okay, they're taking him seriously. And he, he, it's not to say he completely escaped the McMahon seal of approval being Shane's sidekick for a while. I have absolutely no recollection of that whatsoever. <laughs> that, that's uh, so around the period where Shane uh, pinned Roman Reigns in Saudi and I think became best in the world. No, he didn't pin Roman, did he, in that? it was, Wasn't it that he came in as a last-minute replacement for Seth Rollins? Uh, or yeah, Dolph for that Ziggler. tournament, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Like This was the start of Shane McMahon's heel run that was terror. ended with uh, Kevin Owens in the ladder match, I think. Yeah. Really where Drew is now is where we always thought he would be. And again, in the indie scene, he was so odd and he was like, really in a way, I guess he was like a prototype of what Walter became on the indie scene. Just the guy who gobbles up championship belts and is like the final boss of wrestling. The collector. Yeah, because, you know, he gets this belt. At the same time, he's won the ICW championship. That they mention he's literally about to go, he flew in from Australia for this match, and now yeah. he's, and then he's flying off to Scotland afterwards. They made it sound like it was day after day after day, and again, according to Cage Match, it wasn't quite like that. But uh, he might have genuinely just flown in from Australia then. But, mm. he, like, his previous match in Australia had only been a couple, had been a couple of days before that. But, yeah, and he was doing all this whilst also... Starting to work in TNA, where he and Bobby Lashley are prepping for their WrestleMania 37 match. <laughs> now that's long-term booking. Yeah, another guy. Where and I was kind of again, I was surprised because at that point there did seem to be like there seems to be like a 10-year period where WWE was like refusing to hire anyone with the taint of Impact Wrestling TNA. Mm. Like if you were there, you'd made your decision, and we're not going to bring you in. But McIntyre just wanted to work where there was work and be the company man wherever he was, whether it was WCPW. Uh, didn't he have, like, a blue bar steel cage match in WCPW? He did, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the one I saw. It was a freeway between him, Joseph Connors, and... Oh, is it Joe Hendry, the other guy? I can't remember who the, who the third man was. Because I was going to say, if we were to do another match, another Drew Galloway match from this period of time, I would have thought the other logical one to have gone with would have been his match with Grado at the SEC mm. C Arena in Glasgow where they drew like 6,000 people. And you know, yeah. obviously Grado was in the main event, but for it to mean, and it was probably more Grado, but for it to mean anything, Drew was there too. So Drew was this proven, like they couldn't believe their luck that he'd ever come back to ICW. Oh, yeah. And actually, I remember watching the documentary. They did, I think Drew was in that documentary where they were traveling around, touring around with him, and uh, and he comes back. But they literally, you know, as is sometimes the way with these things, they bring him back, has his big, you know, lights go out, come back up, and then he literally turned heel on the same night. You know, it's <laughs> like, I guess sometimes you've got to cram in, like, as many angles as you can. because we're like, We've got him, just use him. Yeah, use him, use him, use him. He's not going to be around for long. Yeah, but he did do kind of all, he did all, do like the Cody list, you know. He did he did the Battle of Los Angeles where he lost in the first round to Mike Bailey. Oh wow! <laughs> and again, it was just like so many of these matches you've seen. He's having to do this David and Goliath thing, but because he can actually do the dive to the outside, yeah. he then does in like the big funny 
10 man tag between all the people that get knocked out the first round you know we had to do that the, mo- <laughs> the, the playtime match yeah. they bring a toy to school day match yeah essentially yeah and he had fun with that so i've said i think drew mcintyre if he could he would be more along those lines he'd be doing springboards and all that sort of stuff but he knows what he is and he knows what it is that's expected of him and you know he does do a more high spot all these matches now are more high spot focused than they were and he gets to do those he gets to play his part in money in the bank matches or whatever i do remember like one of his performances that did stand out as like a sign that he could be good was when he did the elimination chamber in his first run, his clean-shaven ponytail part. And they gave him some really cool spots, and he did come across as like a brutal, take-no-prisoners kind of guy. Yeah. He had moments, he had flashes. But as for the reasons we've talked about, it just for some reason didn't catch back then. Well, in this match, he's doing everything that needs to be done in the 2014 Super Indie thing for them to, to warrant, well, not necessarily warrant, but to induce the this is awesome chance that you get towards the end. Yeah. They do the mega long two counts. They do all the big spots. They do the epic drama where Ethan Page throws a rope into the ring for Johnny to do what he did the previous time that he turned heel and strangle, choke out Drew McIntyre to win the match, and then he decides not to. Yeah. All that. Because that was coming from the Gabe Sapolsky school as well. Because, again, Gabe Sapolsky was a great talent spotter, and this was... I don't want to say his wilderness period, but he had such a rough time after he got kicked out of Ring of Honor, which had basically been his baby, mm. because there was just a sense that he out, he was burning himself out. He'd had seven years, and he was it was starting to be diminishing returns. Yeah, but also there was a big philosophical dispute between him and the owner Kerry Silkin, because they'd done that stuff for the wrestler movie where Ring of Honor was the venue that they filmed. Yeah, it was the promotion they'd used for the final match and everything. And Carrie Silkin's idea was we should recreate the wrestler storyline and have our closest equivalent to Randy the Ram Robinson win the belt, which is Jerry Lynn, mm. and have him beat Nigel McGuinness. Ah, right. <laughs> and Gabe was like utterly against that because Gabe was like, I'm bringing in Jerry Lynn, but not to win the title. He's yeah. Not for that. His plan had always been for Tyler Black. Seth Rollins to be the one to beat him for it. And that was where it ended up going. But they had to go to such a circuitous route to get there that by the time Tyler Black finally got the title, it was like six months later he had to leave for WWE. Yeah. And they really Lex Luger'd him. You know, literally after the end of one match where he didn't win the title against Austin Aries, the crowd started chanting, you're Lex Luger to him. <laughs> and this was after Gabe Polky had left and the book had been given, booking role had been given to Adam Pearce. So straight after that, Gabe's like kind of in a slight wilderness, but quickly starts up Evolve. And Evolve came from a concept that he came up with with Brian Danielson, where they wanted to go down more of an MMA in early UFC-inspired look as well, and it'd be all about the win-loss records. Oh, okay. See, this was why, you know, when AEW was starting up, I was so anti-win-loss records. Because every time they tried to do it, it just ends up, meaning nothing it's just a mess of a thing and the thing was also because of evolve and because of the change in philosophy of ring of honor the indie scene in general seemed to lose its sort of uh, epicenter it's sort of it's north star almost yeah in ring of honor and where it was this sense that all roads of the indie the best in the indies came to ring of honor and that was like where the best of the best of the indie scene eventually congregated Mm. 
And from there, they would probably make the move on to WWE, if anything, or TNA, or whatever. Yeah. And when Gabe Sapolsky left, and then Ring of Honor started to become more of a TV product, that started to no longer be the case. The matches weren't as good anymore. There wasn't as clear a through storyline anymore. What the show, what it was, was it a, was it the best indie in the world, or was it a one-hour TV product with occasional eye-pay-per-views? Yeah. And then you get Jim Cornette in, and Jim Cornette's vision of what great talent is... Is very, very different. Yeah, I mean, there's some similarities, but then he has things like he, you know, he didn't get Colt Cabana, he didn't get the Super Smash Brothers, he didn't get El Generico and Kevin yeah. Steen, he didn't get those, and they were the ones the indie scene craved. So then at that point, there was almost like... um a vacuum what's the super indie and also because around that so they're not all going to ring of honor anymore and then really what became the super indie became pwg but pwg wasn't really an ongoing concern it was just an occasional congregation every six weeks or so it wasn't some promotion with a five-year plan to expand or anything it was just going to be in this one place they held 300 people for as long as they could and wrestlers would come in almost as a showcase to get them booked in all the other indies. Yeah, it was a labour of love, not a, not not a financially motivated. But Gabe Sapolsky was also trying to do that with Evolve. Like, the first person he thinks he signed for Evolve is Davey Richards. And he thinks he's got Richards locked down, so he builds the first show around him, which is main evented by him against Coach Rabushi. Okay. But then immediately after that, Davey Richards switches and stays with Ring of Honor. But there's this real back and forth then at that point as to where do you go now? Some went to Ring of Honor, some were in PWG. You know, it's it's all over the place, really. And Evolve never, never quite reaches its... As- reaches the, aspiration. Yeah, it never reaches that aspiration to be what, what the next logical step of, Evo- of Ring of Honor is. Because obviously first he loses Brian Danielson before it can even start. Yeah. Then he can't get David Richards. And But there are all these people. Like the opening match of the first Evolve show was Adam Cole against Kyle O'Reilly. There was plenty of talent that were coming in. Sammy Callahan. People that you could get stuff going with, but never it never gets the wheels in motion. It never... And Gabe has not necessarily got as many good ideas as he does in the past. Ah, okay. And they tie- and again, with things like the win-loss record, you're tying yourself down to certain things. But Johnny Gargano is a, co- a prominent one at the start. Like, Johnny Gargano never got booked by Ring of Honor. It's kind of weird. He didn't get quite booked when Gabe was there, and then Gabe brought him and said, I'll, I'll make... And, and Johnny Gargano's as close as, like, a Gabe Sapolsky creation in this time, because he makes him, like, the ace over time of... Dragging Eight USA, which is his yeah. other sister promotion that he gets going. So that's also the problem. Like it's like, well, what's the point of focus here for you, Gabe? Is it Evolve? Is it Dragon Gate USA? And it's like they're both different things, but neither of them are quite giving you everything. It's like some of Ring, what was Gabe Ring of Honors in Evolve? Some of what was Gabe's Ring of Honors in Dragon Gate USA? And it never quite meshes. Spread himself too thin. I guess because he's been shackled to Ring of Honor for so long. Maybe from a creative standpoint, it's like I get to do all of the things. But then Ron Swanson famously goes, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Well, I think Gabe would argue he was whole-assing both things. Well, how possible is that? Well, let's see what, let's see what Tony Khan does with Ring of Honor for fuck's sake. Well, again, I, I, I was thinking that when you mentioned the fact he was running two things at once. 
So, but Gabe was running some good storylines at this time, and again, he was finding talent. Like he got John Moxley, maybe his most high-profile role on the indies outside of CZW, with his run in Dragon Gate USA and briefly in Evolve, where he had him booked in a sort of a, a remix of the CM Punk Raven feud, but with him and Jimmy Jacobs. Oh, okay. Whereas more that Jimmy Jacobs was claiming he was going to go clean, and and Moxley was like having none of it. It's like, no, you're not. You're not clean. <laughs> And I'm going to drag it down with me. But again, like, Moxley gets signed up by WWE before he can really do anything with him. And Gargano is the one that he's like, okay, this is my guy. And he puts the Dragon Gate title on him and he holds it for over 800 days. His reign is so long that he's able to book him to both turn heel during the run and then, like, rebook his run second time around of him as a heel for a year, after a year as a face. And then when he loses the title to Ricochet, he kind of, that's the start of him turning face again. Because then it all became WWN, which is World Wrestling Network Live, I think is the full name for it. So it's like he created his own NWA with different promotions, because he had Mm. Evolve and Dragon Gate USA, but he also had Full Impact Pro, which was a little promotion in Florida that he booked whilst he was booking Ring of Honor as kind of a, a little fun, where he could have let loose and be a bit more experimental and do sort of his version of Memphis. CM Punk came along and was the top heel of that place for a year and he made Homicide like the top face there with the title. Yeah. He like gave Roderick Stronger run as the top face there whilst he was like working his way up in Ring of Honor. So it was almost like his NXT, his dress rehearsal in a way, although very often have carryover talent. For a while, Brian Danielson was the FIP and the Ring of Honor world champion at the same time. Mm, mm-hmm. But some people who'd be heels in one promotion would be faces in others and vice versa. It's just a different world to play around with. Yeah. The CM Punk was clearly having a bit more fun back though in those days. Wasn't taking it as much as seriously in FIP. He and Homicide had like a, a Fool's Count Anywhere fight that ended up in a strip club. <laughs> where one of them does uses the pole to spin around and do a drop kick or something on the <laughs> other one. And Punk screaming, you're a whore! At one of the strippers while she's moving. And then after Homicide wins, he just sits down and has a lap dance in celebration. (laughs) Doing a hook. Ah, wrestling. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and so Johnny Gargano's the guy that he puts in, and this is the time where he's starting to merge them together. Starting to get them together to the point that uh, later on, he literally creates a WWN title that will be defended on all these different promotions. He also invented another promotion where the idea was that they would just have knockout tournaments every year. Like, every show would just be an eight-man knockout tournament. And all. Right. And then at the end of the year, there'd be a winners of the winners tournament. Oh, sort of like University Challenge. Yeah, but it wouldn't be like eight unique wrestlers each time. People who lost in the first tournament would come to the second one. And you kind of like... It never it never took off. I think it might have even failed before the first year. Just nothing would ever get the momentum it had. Yeah. And he kept trying with different champs. He put it on Chris Hero, put it on Zack Sabre Jr. He put it on... Timothy Thatcher. Timothy Thatcher was the one that won it after Drew Galloway. And he had a very contentious run with the title where some people loved it, some people hated everything about it. And it just never, and Evolve were never able to escape this kind of small nightclub where they were running most of their shows. Yeah. It does look a bit rinky dink. Well, there's one moment where they're fighting in the crowd and the lights literally aren't there. Yeah, I like it's it's a good, it's a key spot. It's um, a swinging DDT off the wall. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, and also beforehand, as Johnny escaping a pile driver attempt onto the concrete, like you know, high jeopardy moments. Because in the match itself, this is like the slow phase. 
They never go like full Adam Cole Gargano in terms of pacing. They sort of, and at the start, his sort of slower ends. Uh, it's Drew being big, big Goliath versus David. Like when he launches him into the wall, it's sort of like, you know, giant-esque behavior. And it's after the, the storytelling bit with the, uh, the, ro- the rope, which looks more like a shoestring than it does anything else. But No, that's at the end. That's at the end. It's like, well, mid-end, yeah. Yeah, that's how, yeah. Well, of course, it's Gargano, so there's multiple endings, but that takes place after the brawl in the in the crowd. Yeah, that's my point. But it's it's only after that bit does the pace really ramp up to what we now know. The brawl in the crowd didn't make much sense to me outside of it was like establishing that the ref wasn't going to count anyone out, that this was going to be to a. It's finish. too high stakes. Yeah, it's too yeah. high stakes because there was no sense in this whole match of hatred between the two. There was just a sense of this is the big, this is the opportunity for both of us to come out of this as both, you know, the ones that are usually the champions, they're now in the role of both champion and challenger. So there's the sense that this is for all the stakes, this is the Super Bowl, you know, this is whatever. It's, it was a dick measuring contest, basically, between the two of them. That implies that there's no true value to it, and that's not the case. There's both the titles. Yeah, but there's know? also... It's like, like there's, the... a, there's, no, there's no point to a dick measuring contest, especially when you're against me. <laughs> but... <laughs> I blame myself for that. <laughs> I get where you're coming in so far as, like, may the best man win, I think is what you're saying. And it's like they're both proclaiming to be the face of WWN. So the commentator states. Yes. They do the crowd brawl, which is fine. Again, it's like everything is like... It's never bad, but I almost feel like the crowd is kind of... The crowd feels kind of cold as well. Like, people trying to set up the four-syllable chants and everything, because that's what we're in the... Already in the height of that. And mm. It always seems almost echoing and cavernous. But by the end, people are willing themselves to go. But it still just doesn't quite ring true to me. Like, this match... I could go no higher than maybe three and a half stars for this match. And that would be a slight stretch, you would almost feel. For yeah, yeah. But there's people there doing the this is awesome at the end and everything. But I thought there was quite a great visual representation of it. Mm. Where there's, in the front row, there's three people with on their feet doing this is awesome. And there's one guy who's just sat on his ass next to them, like mildly entertained yeah and i guess i'm somewhere between the two of those individuals states of mind yeah yeah Yeah, no i I agree with you this is very much a um seedling match for the style that i initially quite adored being the black and gold style but then obviously the shark gets jumped and then it gets a little bit silly towards the end but yeah you, you can see all the bits coming together but then they're not these two aren't quite as fully polished as they get later on. I wonder if the polish is not so much in the execution of any of the moves. They execute them all very well. Yeah, no, no, it's not it's the It's more like maybe maybe the final polish is the high-definition cameras and the large arena crowd going for everything. Yeah. And the bells and whistles and also having... And maybe having a match producer. <laughs> yeah, having Shawn Michaels or Triple H or Road Dog, whoever it was that produced those matches for them being there to map it all out as well, and then being indulged, and also the the higher status of it being in a WWE arena, basically having the presentation of a pay-per-view, but the attitude of a super indie. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like... I I, I mean, Triple H was always an admirer of Gabe Sapolsky. He was, he was at some of these shows. You know, there's that famous photo of them looking through the curtain together. Mm. 
and we just don't hear anything of Gabe's Polsky. Like after COVID basically destroyed Evolve and WWN, and in the end, all their assets were purchased by the WWE. Yeah, but the idea at one point seemed to be for it to be like progress and everything, and like when it was still Triple H's vision of wrestling as like some wider world that they're the epicenter of. Yeah, but then they themselves blew it with NXT UK. Where it was like, you, there was that sense of we still needed to be like an arm's length away from the WWE and its worst impulses. And NXT UK and the whole UK scene was kind of ruined from it. Yeah, that that's done a... NXT UK did a, did a lot of damage. <laughs> mm. Is doing still, it would seem. And, and COVID as well. Yeah, yes, of course. Well, yeah, lots of things. COVID was essentially what did it evolve, but it never... If I mean, if Triple H hadn't come along and like, given Gabe the, the seal of approval and it was a bit of a surprise it was like evolve evolve who you're gonna work with yeah and I think it was more Triple H getting Gabe Sapolsky than it was Triple H I think he maybe saw Gabe Sapolsky as like his equivalent Pat Patterson or Bruce Pritchard or one of those lieutenants he, yeah, for his yes, eventual yeah. final version which of course then got taken away from him and we don't yet know if he's going to get it back. We don't know one way or the other. Yeah, I don't know at the time of recording or if everything is up in the air vis-a-vis power positions in the company. So we don't exactly know who will end up with with the reins in what position yet. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> We're about to enter an interesting phase of the future. So another thing, again, like Galloway... Always wanted to be the indie guy, I think, in this run, and he did this stuff. And again, in this match, he, as you were saying, there is that David versus Goliath, but there's no, like, I just the, the moment that was so significant to me was when Johnny Gargano does the lawn darts. Yeah, and that's the thing where you're literally running with a guy on your shoulders and throwing them into the corner. Mm. Now, if you're doing David versus Goliath, you're struggling to get the guy up for a body slam, let alone carrying him on your shoulders and sprinting across the ring. Yeah, yeah. And again, that was another sign of how McIntyre never really played up his size and his weight in those sort of situations. He never did a can he slam the giant sort of... And you could have done that with these two, but... Would people... Would that audience want it, wanted to have seen it? I think they would have. If, you, if you'd have told that story from the start, and you were telling them at the start that it's going to be speed against size, you know, Johnny... And they were almost doing, like, boxing style. Yes, like, yeah. With the fists up and everything. Yeah. So you're saying that, well, look, McIntyre's got a big size advantage. Then you can do that. You lay it out in three points. Gargano goes for a throw at the start. He can't get him up. He goes for a throw the second time. He can't get him up. Third time, end of the match, he hits it. Yeah, but instead it's just part of the regular Gargano hitting him with his best and Mac and Galloway hitting him with his best. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there was sort of like there's there's a little bit of a central thread in this match, but it's not the most threaded together match we've yeah, ever yeah. seen. Well, the, the whole final thing is meant to be again. It's it's Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 26, where Galloway is telling him... Well, Galloway first is the one that gets to be the defiant, stay down! Yeah. Stay down! As Gargano's hitting him with, you know, super kicks, and he's like, no, fuck you! So yeah. they both get their, you know, won't back down moments. It's that line, oh, he's going to be flying to Scotland with a concussion. I'm like, I'm fairly sure you shouldn't fly with a concussion. I'm pretty sure a lot of wrestlers have flown with concussions, Simon. What they've done and what they should have done are markedly different <laughs> things, as we've covered extensively. I think if you'd have done that finish where it was more that the Galloway was 
giving the majority of the hits throughout the match that when he's doing the willing himself back up and he's got nothing left in the gas, it would have meant more. Mm. But instead, it was just a back and forth, and then they both have their moment where it looks like they're done, and then the final blow is hit. Yeah, it's weird. Like they, bo- they both get to do a lot in this match in terms of like no no one competitor gets to do something that the other doesn't really. They both hit the ref inadvertently. Well, I think it's also one of those things where you want to make everyone look as good as possible. You know, yeah. Give, That's the thing with them... title versus title where it's different mm. promotions, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but if they're both owned by the same guy, that's not the problem. It's just that he wanted to keep both guys strong anyway. Yeah. Well, that. Well, yeah. It's still. It's still a problem because he doesn't want to shit on either of his like promotions, does he? It's not. As, it's not. As, it's not as political as like forbid. Like, like a new Japan and all Japan, all things like that. But yeah, but I'll I'll get into that in a bit when when after the matches after our notes of the match are. You got the Gargano escape. Yeah, we got all the DDTs, uh, not DDTs, all the big kickouts. So uh, Galloway hits the future shot DDT. A second ref comes in for the first ref, and it's a long two count. Yeah, it's a visual three count, but a long yeah. two count. Galloway hits the Gotch Tombstone. Gargano kicks out of that. That's what triggers the This Is Awesome chance. Uh, Galloway attempts something with an Emerald Frosion or Flosion off the, off the second, second rope. Gargano turns that into a DDT. That gives Galloway his epic kick out. And then he's doing the series of soup kicks. Galloway wheels himself up. He flips off Gargano, dodges a soup kick, hits a Future Shock DDT, rolls through into a second Future Shock DDT, and like a John Cena match from the US Open Challenge, <laughs> hitting your finisher twice is not enough anymore. Yep. And so literally, again, I know I've said it so many times, but I, again, if you haven't watched this match, you're basing this on this thing. When I say they're doing a WrestleMania 26 homage, literally, Galloway wills himself up. Instead of doing the throat-cutting gesture, he spits at Ma- uh, Galloway. And Galloway picks him up and does the leaping tombstone. The WrestleMania 26 leaping tombstone. Yeah. And gets the pin. It's a little bit silly. But, like I say, it like we've seen this style, this sort of like format, this template of match so many times since. You're kind of used to it, but... It's like seeing a big band as they're in a, a little nightclub on camcorder footage. Yeah. It's like seeing Blondie at CBGB's or something. Yeah, or being the guy who saw uh, Steven Gerrard come on for his debut when he didn't even have the number eight shirt and he was just a scrawny little lad. But was that still at Anfield? It's different. It's still I mean, at Anfield. But... Well, that's the thing. You need to have the smaller venue as well with the smaller yeah. number of people. I'm sure Gerard meant a lot already to a lot of Scousers at that point. A lot of people have put their childhood dreams onto him. But he was <laughs> to live vicariously through. suppose, yeah. So after this, we have what was like commonplace at this time, which was the, the champion with the microphone wishing the fans well and saying something positive to the other guy that they thought. That was kind of both Gargano's role in Dragon Gate and became Galloway's role in Evolve and later on the rest of WWN during this run. And then Galloway leaves, and Ethan Page, who'd been Gargano's corner man during this whole time, turns heel on Gargano. Yeah. And that sets up almost, again, you say prototype, like a proto version of the Champa feud with Gargano, where the idea is that all of the sins of the father are being revisited upon Gargano. So Page starts beating Gargano in a series of matches where the finishes are all linked to things that Gargano had done during his heel run. 
Uh, okay. Have all of his actions paid back to him. Yeah. What's really cool though is Gargano wins their big final blow-off feud, and again, it's probably like if we watch that, we probably see so much of the Champa stuff in there. Is the what's great is after that, Ethan Page comes out like I think at the next show and says, "I knew I was wrong. I'm sorry. I want to prove myself and be a good. Fr- I be be your friend again." Mm. And Gargano's like. Bullshit. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't believe a word of what you say. Yeah. And Ethan Page is like, I understand. I hope one day you will forgive me and we can be friends again. And then throughout the rest of the run, I think around this time, Drew Mackin- Drew turns heel and Gargano starts feuding with Galloway and oftentimes Ethan Page will come out to try and help him or save him or, you know, take a chair shot for him or whatever. But Gargano never, ever trusts him. Mm. And then when Gargano, because th- and then around that time is also around this time after this is when he starts debuting on NXT, and it's so funny. McIntyre comes in and they're like, "We'll put the belt on him immediately," like every evo- like every indie promotion was. Yeah. He's like, "Give him the belt," you know. Uh, and he was he was never a one hundred percent proper fit for NXT as far as again just as like he did it, but he was never quite that. Yeah, you know, he was always the guy that was for the main roster. And he's always been more there, but he's always—I think—he's always wanted to do that stuff, and he's respected enough by fans that it just about fits. But he's never like—he's mm. never going to go down as one of the most popular NXT champions ever. He's never going to be Drew McIntyre matches that you'll talk about when you talk about the best of NXT or the best no. of any other promotion. And that's not a slight on Drew; it's just you know the standard was incredibly yeah. high, and he wasn't there uh, no. for a long, long period of time. And just again, I think he outgrew what his ideal style of wrestling would be. Yeah. You know, when you when you work, when you're carrying that much weight and you you're that bigger size, doing multiple dives to the outside are probably not a good idea for you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's not gonna it's not gonna end well uh, yeah. health wise. And that's not what you're going to be booked to do. And again, as I've said, I think McIntyre's very much a yes man, and he does what people tell him to do, and he wrestles yeah. the way they tell him to do, and he puts the things he says the words they tell him to say. And that's fine if that's what you want to be and what you want to do. So Gargano goes to NXT, and he has to start from the bottom, basically. Mm. Like, he was the first one where it was like, these are indie talents, him and Champa, because they were never really a thing on the indie scene together. No. He and Champa. But they were put together in NXT as, like, their first two guys that would do NXT, but would also go and do the indie scene as well. Yeah. And, and I remember, there's... like, he did, like, a like a sort of an energetic squash match against Baron Corbin. Yeah. Where he was the guy in the ring, the enhancement talent being announced, but he was allowed a certain portion of of offense in the match. Yeah, I think I think the fans managed to count past 60 because that was peak Baron Corbin, the fans counting how long matches lasted. And then he and Champa gradually build up and then they have their matches with the Revival which are really what start to steal the show. Well, they have their is that one they have their Cruiserweight Classic. Yes, the Cruiserweight Classic where we get the first one of those sort of dramatic soap opera and suddenly Shawn Michaels and Trip Triple H's antennas to go up and go, ooh, <laughs> what are they doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that was such a good tournament. Yeah, I've never watched those Gargano Champa matches back. And at the time, there were people arguing, like one of the best Twitter accounts, the guy, Alan Cheapshot, that inspired the Five Star Project. Yep. He listed their first one, you know, with the with the concrete and the crutch and everything, yeah, as the best wrestling match ever. I wonder if he still feels that way or not. Hmm. It's a difficult one. Like most of the matches in the Tommaso Champa series, I've only seen like 
as they happened, staying up late to watch them. So uh, I haven't really revisited that, that those series. I guess the only times we revisited it was for the five stars thing. Yeah, that was still relatively fresh in the mind. It might have been ha- well, it wasn't happening on. Was it happening on the same year? I don't know. It might have been happening whilst we were doing them. You know. Mm. I can't remember really because we did it just before lockdown. It's kind of hard to get a sense of where everything was. At yeah, that yeah. Time, time melted away. We finished uh, December twenty nineteen, so I think some of them were would have been as I think the Adam Cole ones certainly were actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were getting a bit angry at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think um, we started just after the the series had been done with Champa, but we we caught Adam Cole's live well they got added to the list because we that was a speed run towards the end but that was the thing like i said though with gargano i was wondering like did this all did all of these habits form from being in the wwe system but doing it with the indified way and like this is like a new triple h Shawn michaels vision of what wrestling was that was like what if we'd done our hell in a cell match right yeah and uh no watching this match no it wasn't this format was essentially created, it seems, by Johnny Gargano in the Dragon <laughs> Gate USA scene, uh, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They they were just um, it was they extra... were the, they were the turbo turbochargers for it, basically. It was like it was given that like nice it was like Butch Vig coming in and cleaning up the Nirvana sound for the album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make it work for the masses. How would you rate this match? Like I said, I think I wouldn't go any higher than three and a half, and that would feel quite generous. It, it was good. It wasn't great. Mm. So yeah, after this, Dragon Gate USA essentially dies a few months afterwards. Drew loses the title to Timothy Thatcher because, you know, with Drew, it's like he couldn't confine himself to one promotion. He was all yeah. over the place and he was doing TNA. So Gabe was like, well, I can't. You need to be here. <laughs> He's not going to get stung like Davy Richards and Brian Danielson and all these other ones all over again, or John Moxley. So it was like, they're probably never going to hire Timothy Thatcher. As great as he looks, the way that he wrestles and his personality, WWE would never want him. Yeah. Which is sort of true and not true at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird how it worked out. It's worked yeah. out so far. And uh, he's now, did you know that he's now the Noah tag team champion? I saw this, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Noah with their very early 2000s Smackdown looking set as well. Mm. And wrestlers who were probably at their peak in the early 2000s a lot of the time as well. Still wow, that's for you. <laughs> you know, just because Noah himself lived to 130 doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean, mean your stars <laughs> have to be that old. <laughs> um, oh no, it was like 900, wasn't it? Or something Noah's supposed to have lived for. Something like that, yeah. Uh, and with all the wine he drank as well, that's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, oh sorry, I wanted to say, uh, when Johnny, so Johnny was working his way up and then eventually... He became a full-time guy and eventually sort of the star of the promotion. Or not necessarily the star. I think he was to NXT what Tommy Dreamer was to ECW. Yeah. Like the, the mascot almost, the face of it. Yes, yes. Really. Yeah. Like if you were to do a book about the history of that time and you could only put one wrestler on it, Gargano would probably be the guy you'd go for. Yeah, overall, quite possibly. It's just for longevity. Yeah. Nothing yeah, else. Yeah. But yeah, he does his final show at Evolve, and as he's doing his big farewell speech, who comes out and attacks him? Ethan Page. He's <laughs> like, yes, I was going to attack you, and you never figured, and you never, I never tricked you, you piece of shit. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to have to do it now. <laughs> Which is weird, because Gagano's last NXT thing, he was attacked by um, 
And it, not by a long-time friend, but he was attacked by an upcomer. So that it mirrors, it mirrors again. Gargano's always, he's almost like, he's got a bit of Tommy Dream, but he's also got a bit of sting in him. People will always attack him. He just yeah. seems to be very attackable. <laughs> maybe it's you, Sting. Maybe if so many people are doing it, maybe it's you. <laughs> that would be an amazing reveal. Like backstage, he's just like the most annoying, obnoxious. Yeah. Kind of, not evil, but just in a way that like everyone is like the kid at school that gets bullied and you feel sorry for them, but then you spend enough time with them and you're like, well, you kind of bring it on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Cody in AEW. Like the amount of people that sort of like, he, he ends up like pushing away be it qt marshall hook leaves him obviously mjf but mjf was a rat from the beginning no one gives a shit about your kid cody (laughs) 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 oh thing is i'd love to see lesnar do that line to Mm. him (laughs) a la heath slater anyway i think it's yeah, it was an interesting pick. Like I said, I think if I was to pick any Drew Galloway match and if we were to do another one, I definitely think we should do an ICW match at yeah, some point. we absolutely should. But yeah, I, I picked this because... The Gargano aspect. The Gargano aspect and sort of like... Because from what the limited bits I know of Evolve is, it's sort of where that style of NXT wrestling sort of was around from there, so... Well, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I wasn't watching it. And, I, and I, again, I was like, why are they going with Evolve? I'd always seen involved like they were trying they were trying too hard to be like he had all these weird in- ideas like no one had individual entrance music there was again they were mirroring like the UFC thing where everyone came out to the same music that was only for like the first few shows and it was like there was no championship belt it was all down to who had the best win loss record and it was like but then it's like how do you bring who you, oh look I've said time and time again why I've had issues with win loss records. And they did themselves eventually have to bring in the championship belts. So, you know, yeah. Dragon Gate closes. Timothy Thatcher wins both belts off of Drew Galloway. And then literally hands the Open the Freedom Gate belt to Johnny Gargano saying, this belt is sealed. You're the one that was really truly of this belt. And you get to keep it. Oh, okay. Sort of like how um, the Jules Romay trophy, trophy was given to Brazil. And then they lost it. Is that another one of those ones where a dog finds it eventually? No, that's when we lost it. It got it got flown to Brazil after the 1970 World Cup. I don't know how long it lasted in Brazil before it got nicked. To be fair, it's a very small trophy. It's easy to lose. Yeah, you could accidentally you could accidentally sit on that thing and cause a lot of problems. I do think that's why they made the next one massive, like comparatively. Well, in comparison, it's no it's no Stanley Cup. It's no, no well, that's that's the pinnacle of like it's large no European trophies. Cup big ears. Yeah. Thing. Apparently, the Stanley Cup keeps getting dropped and battered all over the place. So maybe they need to rethink it. No, Super Bowl is one of the shittiest trophies I've ever seen. But that's another time for another conversation. <laughs> American listeners may may be offended by that. I like the NBA trophy. I yeah, like that, that one's good. It's kind of World Cup-ish in a way. Yeah. It's like yeah. World Cup mixed with that weird American thing of having like four long... Pillars. Pillars. I wish we could say that that was going to be a segue to the next episode being about the four pillars, but we haven't... No, no. ...chosen that as a uh, an episode. So for the next episode, Simon... We are back to an old, let me tell you something, an original, uh, a proper original formula. Full oh, fat, yes. even with the cocaine traces in it as well. <laughs> That's how old school we're going. <laughs> Can't drink this if you're doing the Tour de France. 
So we talk. Well, they, but they do. But um, did you ever see about the first tour, the second tour de France? They had a night game, a night race, and it was like the most cheated event. The event with the most cheating ever. Didn't that have, uh, thirteen people take the train or something? Yeah, loads of them got in like taxis and stuff. Yeah. Someone should make a comedy. I know, I know that Adam, Sa- not Adam Sandler, uh, Andy Samberg did a, an HBO comedy about the Tour de France. Mm. Someone should do something about that as well. But uh, what they shouldn't do is what we're doing for the next episode, which is what we're talking about, Simon, for our next... Let me tell you something. What is our topic of conversation? We're talking about the ringside accomplice, the, the, the person who accompanies the talent to the ring. Be that a manager, be that a valet, or be that a bodyguard. Or uh, members of your faction, perhaps, as well, in yeah. recent years. Of course, now that uh, best friends have their manager's license, they were allowed to stay there for <laughs> a reason match. That, that was that was a lovely little detail I liked. <laughs> but anyway, there's nothing left to say at this point except the sign. If people want to get in touch with you with some more Drew Galloway matches or some more Johnny Gargano matches, Evolve, Dragon Gate USA, or other types of accomplices to the ring... How can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. Where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of Future Shock DDTs hit in this match. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Dragon Gate USA. N for the N at the end of Unification. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show, lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And until then, all there's left to say is that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.